Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Patrick, and welcome back to the Common Sense Podcast. I missed y'all so much. Listen, this season we are bringing you eight queer coming-of-age stories, and I am just beyond excited about them. This first story is from a woman named Solomon, who's Eritrean, and what happens when she makes a rash decision? I would say buckle up your seatbelts, but this story starts off in Atlanta. Fresh 21, uh, returning from Atlanta, Georgia. I had an internship over the summer there. So I was there for about six weeks. And it was like one of the first times where I was just seeing like black queer people in abundance. And I was like, oh, this is it. Okay, heard it, got it, clear. Hello to clarity. Um, so I was kind of experiencing not even just black queer people, but just like queer people in general and like seeing like camaraderie and stuff like that. Um, and so I literally was being picked up at the Grand Rapids airport by my mother. And it's a bit, it's like a small drive on the way home. Um, so we like stopped, got groceries and we're coming back and she's like talking about something that has to deal with my home country, Eritrea, right? Um, mind you, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Once I got to college and I began learning more um, about my own identity as well as like what's happening back home, right? Like a lot of like journalists being locked up um, because they don't really have like freedom of like press or what have you. Um, a big thing that they use to lock journalists up is they charge them with homosexuality because it's a really easy crime. Like that requires zero evidence. Um, and that was just something that I was like learning from like a lot of activists and stuff through online spaces. They also will arrest them for just being journalists as well. Like don't get it twisted, Eritrea is a dictatorship. But um, that was something that like really like shook me. And I was like, if I ever come out, like I will be unsafe here. So I began to have like a lot of feelings of like anger towards my community, not so much like where I come from, but I guess my community my mother comes from a generation of like freedom fighters. This is significant in why I ended up coming out. Cause see, originally growing up, I was like, I'm gonna go to college. I'm going to get this degree. I'm gonna go back to my homeland. And I'm gonna serve my people. Like this was literally my rhetoric, my narrative. And as I like, like came into myself very young and understanding that I was queer, I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I'm just gonna not be gay. And so me and her always argue about that. So something about Eritrea came up and she was just like, you don't care about your country. Like, why don't you, like, why aren't you invested in it anymore? And I was like, I am invested in it. I just, I, it's really frustrating when I can't return to the country that I'm fighting for. And she was like, why can't you return? What, what are you saying? What do you mean? And I was like, did I just almost out myself? Uh, <laughs> and 
that's when I realized, I said, girl, you need to slow down. You're out here telling your secrets. But then she kept picking at me as mothers do, right? <laughs> and so then she's like, why aren't you saying anything? Now you're silent. This is how you treat your mother, the woman who birthed you, brought you out of her body. And I was like, mom, like it has nothing to do with that. And she was like, like, why don't you care about where you're from? And I was like, because it doesn't care about me. It won't even legally let me back in the country. So I literally came out in a moment of like anger and rage. <laughs> um, and she was like, I don't understand. And I was like, mom, I could never go back there with any partner that I have. And she was like, why? And I was like, because my partner would be a girl. <laughs> And she was like, I don't understand. And I was like, you speak five languages, <laughs> Abraham. I know you understand. <laughs> and it was this thing that obviously a lot of Habesha parents do where they suddenly forget the fact that they are multilingual and they're like, say it again, what do you mean? Um, I said, mom, I like girls the way I sometimes infrequently like boys. <laughs> And she was like, this will kill your dad. I immediately regretted coming out because I had had a plan. My plan was to never come out to her like this. I, me and her, sometimes we have hot fuses. Like we're very Eritrean women. And like, I felt so much guilt out of the fact that I like threw this at her. I was like, well, didn't like me before, but you don't like me now, right? Like, especially because I think a lot of queer people have a narrative of like keeping their family and their friends almost at like an arm's distance before they come out because they're like, you could leave me. Um, and my mom was somebody who I didn't necessarily feel that way with um, as much. I was like, she'll figure it out. Um, and her first response was really just like, this is gonna kill your father. And mind you, my father had a heart condition. So when she said that, it wasn't a joke. Like she very much was like, this is gonna upset him and he's gonna have like a heart attack um, and he'll be responsible. Um, and it was this moment where I just really didn't know what to do. Um, mind you, when I came back, I had started summer classes. So I immediately almost started failing uh, because me and her just weren't speaking. My father didn't know and just like kind of passing each other in the house <laughs> in silence. Cause literally we just didn't say anything after that one sentence. She came up to me in my room and was like, we're gonna tell your dad. And I said, I wasn't ready for that. And she said, you're gonna get ready. Salem mentioned in the interview that she talked to her mother several times. And she even mentioned that she regretted telling her mother in that moment. And so before she was forced to sit down with her father, she decided to have a conversation with her older sister. And so I was lucky because I did come out to my sister um, actually on a trip that she had come with with two of my best friends, Ariel and Brittany. We all went to New Orleans. And while they were both asleep in the backseat of the car, I was like, hey, um, so before you were going to come on this trip, you know, I was going to talk to women on this trip. <laughs> I just don't want to change those plans because this trip was very expensive. And she was like, to be honest, I've always had some inclinations of this. I said, no, you knew I was gay. I said, you knew I was gay the whole time. You was letting me suffer in silence. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, I only felt comfortable doing that though because I knew she had some gay friends. Um, 
So I felt like there would be some sort of like, it'll be okay. But um, my sister heard my mom being, and she was like, oh, you told mom? And I was like, yeah, I told mom. And now she's making me tell dad, I don't know what to do. And I felt incredibly lucky because she was like, you cannot force her to do this. Like, this is so much like responsibility that you're putting on her. She's going to college. And this is like, like week three. Um, and at this point I'm failing my classes. Like I couldn't even drop them because of course summer sequences are significantly shorter. Um, and I was like, my GPA is going to be tanked the summer before my senior year. I don't know what to do. Solemn was processing a lot, processing who she was for herself, how that had an impact on her family and her schoolwork. But before she had an opportunity to catch her breath, she received a knock at her door. My mom's like, I'm going to tell your dad now. You can either tell him with me and have them have there be like a conversation with you present or I'm just going to tell him. And for her, she was like, I can't lie to my husband. And I was like, this is it. I'm getting kicked out of the house. Like I was really like, I'm either going to get the shit beat out of me or I'm getting kicked out of the house. Right. My father, I like, I love my father and he's an incredibly kind and caring man. Right. But I think, I don't know. That's just like the narrative of back home. Right. Like there are no gay Eritreans. I remember I asked my dad when I was younger and he was like, I mean, if you were gay, um, I just know you wouldn't be gay. There's no gay people back home. We don't have that. You know, so I was like, this is it. I'm going to be kicked out of my house. This is what I've been planning for. I have people at, like on campus that I can stay with. And like the, I had like had these exit strategies planned. I just unfortunately went through the plan a little earlier than I was anticipating. I, I thought I was going to have my degree first. Um, but we then went downstairs into the living room. And my dad's like, what's going on? Like he knew something was up. He was like, all of you are being weird. What is it that I've done? I don't understand. If you're mad at me, just tell me. This poor man thought that we were just angry at him for like three weeks. And I just immediately started crying. I like literally started having a panic attack. And my father's just like, what's going on? Who hurt you? You know, like he's just like holding me and sobbing. And I think that was the moment where my mom was just kind of like, okay, this, this clearly has something that she's been carrying, you know? Cause she just kept saying like, Wale, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, which is like, you know, like my girl, my, my, my daughter, you know, like, I'm sorry, I, what's going on? I didn't, you know? Um, Cause I felt like my dad would be the hardest one to come out to. I don't know, I think there's, there's something different about, you know, the one that was like your buddy. <laughs> um, and I really couldn't stop. Um, so we all just went to the living room and my sister sits me down and she's like, you need to breathe, you're not breathing. Um, and so like I told him, at the time I used the term bisexual because that was just kind of the only language we had. We're young millennials, okay? Things have changed a lot over our time. Um, but yeah, I told him I was bisexual and that to be honest, I didn't really enjoy dating men. I, I really just kind of preferred dating women. Um, and his response was, I feel like I failed as a parent, but I wasn't raised to hate my children. And it was one of the like 
most like, I don't know, dual moments of my life where I felt like I had like crushed this man's dream and like existence, you know, as like a parent, like he felt like my daughter was going to graduate. I put them through school. I did it. Like he felt like he did all the check boxes that every immigrant dreams of, you know, for their children. And he also was just like, but also you're my kid and I'm not, I'm not going to throw you away. And that was also kind of one of the most radical moments I'd ever seen from my parents because they were like, like my mother's an Orthodox, like a Orthodox Christian woman. My father was a Protestant from East Africa, right? Like um, for him, they had both also though made it very clear. They were like, if you live in this house, you can't do that. We'll help you transition out. So that's a lot of layered messaging happening at the same time. How are you in the moment internalizing those messages? That's such an interesting question. Um, it was one of those moments where I realized my parents very much still loved me, but they did not have the tools or understanding to understand me. And so they truly felt that it was necessary to protect me from my own identity. So for them, they were constantly thinking, our community does not know this. It is not a part of us. It's never been in our traditions or understanding. And I would argue that's not true. However, <laughs> um, the way that they feel is that this is not a part of who we are. And so people are not going to understand you. So they're going to exclude you. And they're also going to exclude us like the parents, you know, like they never, there's never a thing where it's just, we're going to get rid of the kid where it's the whole family's out. Um, that was kind of the feeling. Right. And so they were really kind of just trying to let me know that like, they weren't going to abandon me, but they also didn't know how to just like let go of their former values. Um, and I think that's tough because we never want to be like apologists for like homophobia, but I feel like to ignore my parents' entire existence, like, and how they transitioned to this country, like all those things. Um, yeah. I, I, so a lot of the processing for me and like internalizing was like, they're trying to meet me somewhere. Um, and for me, that held value. How did the conversation with your mother and father end? It ended on the fact that my parents made it very clear that while I was living in the house, they did not have the capacity to see that, support that, or understand that. Um, but they were also like, we're not going to leave you homeless. You know, like th that they made it very clear that they were not going to just like take me out on my own. Um, so they were like, we're going to help you finish your degree. Um, and then afterwards, when you come home, we're going to figure out what this means. It was very clear that this was about other Habesha parents knowing. And so I was like, then I'm going to leave. Because um, you're like, if you're providing me with an ultimatum, like be yourself or be gone, right? Like, I don't, I don't really know what else to do. Um, but they also were like, okay, well, again, we're not going to just leave you homeless. And you, you've put all of your money into school. All of our money is going into your school. So we're going to help you transition out. So that's when I began to um, put into effect that I was going to that I was leaving Michigan. Um, and so New York was, I don't know, New York was my only option as a way out. New York 
is such a historic place but especially for black queer people black queer youth so i'm just so curious to know what was that experience like for you my feeling when i first came to new york was so complex because i was unlearning so many things so I, at first I was also feeling this like freedom of like, I can be myself, I can do these things, right? But I was also this new thing of like learning to explore my identities, right? So I could explore being masked for the first time and not having my mother being like, why do you look like a boy? What's going on with you? Da, 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 you know? Uh, I could explore dating women and not feeling like I needed to hide. So that way if a taxi driver who knew my father was driving by, I literally needed to duck. Um, but I, it was so interesting because I also still held a lot of like internalized homophobia. So for example, I remember I was going out with this girl and she kept being like, why won't you hold my hand? And I was like, what do you mean? Like we're in public. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, people can see us. I don't know what people are gonna think. And she was like, oh, what, are you scared? that they're, What are they gonna do, solemn jump you? I said, yes, I don't know. And there was this moment where I was like, oh, people, might be less likely to do that here because there's more of us. <laughs> like, it was just really like a, also like an acclimation to not necessarily safety because like queer trans people are constantly still being attacked everywhere. But um, just like an understanding that like there's like a unknown existence of us here, um, as well as like a certain sense of like camaraderie. Like people will see you and try to protect you, or you know what I mean. Like there's like protections here. Um, and that was incredible. Um, I I truly just had no idea what that felt like prior. It was interesting because my parents kept being like, when are you going to come home? When are you going to come home? Like they very clearly thought that New York was going to be this like phase. Um, and it was going to be temporary. Um, and it literally wasn't until a year and a half after my mother was like, you're really not coming back. And I was like, yeah, I'm really not coming back. Um, and she's also people also some of my friends started saying like hey i just want you to know you've been really public online which is cool like there's nothing wrong with that for me but everybody knows it's here so i just want you to be aware that people are having conversations about you i was like mm. she said i'm popular okay <laughs> Um, but that was also really important for me because my parents then also kind of kept, they kept saying like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And when I had heard those conversations, I was like, I'm never coming back to that. Um, and so they kind of had to be like, okay, well, we need to like accept her as she is. Otherwise we're just never going to see her again. Um, so they kind of moved towards that and I got really lucky by that. And just like that, there's a power shift, right? Anytime you come in contact with the liberation inside of you, right? The liberation that we look for, that's always in us, right? There's a power shift externally. But I wonder with this newfound freedom and power, do you reflect back to the moment in a conversation you had with your dad? What do you wish that you would have heard in that moment? I mean, the two lines that I've said are always the ones that stick out to me, right? Like my mom being like, this will kill your father, right? Like, I feel like that set the tone and I really wish she would have 
just been like, even if it would have said something like, I need a moment to understand this. Cause I understand that it was a jarring thing, right? Like they felt like I had blindsided them, you know? Um, and honestly, if my dad would have just had the one sentence be, I was not raised to hate my children. Cause that was honestly like a moment where I feel like he had like radical, I, I don't know. I saw like a radical in him in that moment where I was just like, he recognized that like all children are who they are. Like they are independent people, you know? Um, and that that is why we're meant to love them. I don't know. Yeah, him kind of just stopping is just like, I was never, I'm. it's something I think about all the time. And I think it's also gonna be a phrase that I probably will carry with me, right? Like I was not raised to hate my children. Mm-mm. And so I know you also work with queer youth in New York City in youth development. And so I'm wondering what messages do you have for them as you reflect on your own story, what do you want to tell them through this podcast? Yeah. So I think, cause I have the blessing of working with queer and trans youth all the time that one of the things I just want them to know to be true is that like, there's a community for you. You do not exist in isolation, no matter what people tell you. Um, and I also, what I want to be true is that youth will bring that understanding to other youth um, and kind of just have that be like a seed that they continue to plant in each other and grow. Cause I think for us, it was like, we had to go through that experience of like understanding that in ourselves and then like going and finding that and connecting with other people and like being really intentional in how we were looking for folks and Instead, I really want it to almost be this like true understanding that we're just constantly looking for each other um, and like taking up space, right? Like the truth is that you have the right and opportunity to take up space as a queer or trans person. And there's something really beautiful about seeing yourself as whole for the first time. So I think that's really it is like you're allowed to like see yourself as a whole person. You don't have to compartmentalize who you are. And I know you want to add one more thing. I see you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. One more thing you want to add and then we will wrap up this podcast. Um, It's a little bit, I guess maybe it's a little bit, it might feel off topic, but I think just like as like an Eritrean person, I see so many conversations surrounding, right? Like, queer and trans identity in like Western nations. And I just really want folks to like stand up and like see queer and trans folks, especially like on the continent, um, cause they're doing it there. Those communities exist there. Um, and the laws that are in place against them there really only happen due to colonial rule. Um, uh, it's not to say that there wasn't homophobia prior to that, but it is to say that like, when you see like Ghanaian queer people who are speaking up, like amplify their voices. When you see Zimbabwean like trans and queer people, like, you know, show them love and I don't know, show the world that they exist everywhere, that this this has never been like an isolated thing that we get to experience joy uh, outside of struggle, like in the United States or only in the UK or you know what I mean? Um, 
yeah, we exist there. We've always existed there. I don't know. I think it'd be like an amazing thing to one, of course, see a free Eritrea, but also to see um, like, I don't know, like some type of pride, right? Like what, I don't know. To me, these are things like that people don't speak about, right? It's just like queer communities outside of Western nations. They exist, they've always existed. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Common Sense Podcast After Show. I am here with Nick. Hey, y'all. And I am Patrick, and we are here to talk about Salem's story. What a story. Yes. Salem. Listen, the thing that I wanted to really draw out from this episode was the layered messaging that sometimes parents can give youth who are choosing to invite them in or coming out to them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When Salem specifically came out to her dad, right? It was intense in a different way because her father gave her some layered messaging that I really Mm -hmm. connected with, right? Mm -hmm. There was this message of, yes, right? Like, I love you. There was a message, I'm not going to kick you out. I'm going to be patient with you. We're we're, going to talk about it. We are going to figure this thing out and what it looks like here, right, at this house. In the same breath, in the same sentence, right, like there's also, I felt like I failed as a parent. Mm. It is, I, uh, right, like there are no gay Eritreans, right? Like I think that, that there's a lot happening that... Uh, it's confusing, right? Like, um, but it's all rooted underneath the same message of um, not really having a lot of experience um, with queer folks, right? And like what to do when it's your child, but knowing deep down inside that you that you love your child unconditionally, but not really sure how to sort of focus through on that. Um, and then when you add like, you know, the cultural values in there as well, um, mm-hmm. that also adds a different piece. What do what did you think about the layered messaging? Yeah, Salem has such a beautiful story. I think, you know, as you talked about all this layered messaging, I wanna also bring the attention back to the the person who just invited people in. Because I think it's so easy for us to be like, oh my gosh, look at all these ways that all these people who are hearing the story are affected. And that's true. But this is really about the person who just came out, right? And so as she was sharing her story, all I kept thinking about was all this weight that she had to carry, right? Because it was like all these tears around her identity. And then it was like telling her that like your dad could possibly die for you telling him this because he could have a heart attack. And it's like just all the layers that she had to carry herself while still trying to be seen. Right. And so for me, it actually this conversation made me want to be even more specific around how we talk to parents and listeners who have children 
right? About like kind of what some of the responsibilities are and not just the responsibilities, because we obviously know that everyone doesn't know everything, but I wanted to make sure that we walk away with some really tangible resources so that you can really explore it from the lens of a person who is queer, as opposed to, you know, maybe what the pastor says or what your Aunt Diane said, or what somebody from Podunk somewhere who has no experience or has no, you know, no real allyship or heart in the community. Or the government, right? <laughs> no, or, or the government, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, 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 let's talk about that because I think that is something that a lot of our listeners want to know, not just parents who are listening, but teachers as well um, and any other folks who work with young people um, today, right? Like we know that one in six folks who are Gen Z um, identify as queer. We know that they're, that kids are coming out left and right, right? Um, and a lot of that is because of representation. Um, um, it could possibly be, in Solemn's case, right, like going to Atlanta. Look, uh, look, there was black queer people in abundance. Black queer Very people nice. in a... You know, because sometimes you only get one, right? Like sometimes... You only get one, right? Like, I'm either around Black folks and they are not uh, acknowledging or affirming or they're, like, being very intentional and saying, hey, we we not with that gay shit, right? Or (laughs) literally. And then, like, there are folks who are queer, right, Um, but are extremely anti-Black or you just don't really feel seen or accepted there, right? And I definitely felt that when I, and I promise y'all we're going to circle back. When I went to Qatar, right? Like that was exactly my experience, right? Like I remember us talking about this. Absolutely, right? It's just like I'm either around, you know, queer, uh, uh, gay folks who are not black who want to say the N word or who want to rap and do all these things with, you know. All that performative girl, yes, sis, go off. That well, no, not necessarily them, like, like, because they were like gay, so they didn't necessarily know that. But like, it was just like really about like rappers and like what they thought that like Black Americans did. A lot of like, you know, basketball and just like it just was just like giving very like, in you know, stereotype one on one, right? Yeah, yeah. And then there were, and then I hung out with the Black Americans who like wanted to know why my jeans were so tight. Or why I dressed the way that I did, mm-hmm. um, and to be careful about being gay over here, etc. So, um, like having the, both of that is so key, right? And it's so rare, um, but it, but it's so important. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think when we talk about inviting people in as parents, as educators, as adults, right? I think the first thing that we always have to remember is that it's not about you. It's not. It's not. The, the person that is sharing their truth with you is they're having a conversation with you because they trust you. And chances mm-hmm. are there's been so much as we, you know, as we listen to all these stories, there's so much internal work that has to be done before the person even musters the courage. And so when someone sits down to talk to you, recognize that it's not about you. Um, another thing is that, you know, we don't want to use religion, our faith, our faith tradition as an opportunity to shame people. Right. Because the research says that people, especially people who come from families that have religious backgrounds, already are carrying a lot of shame and internal conflict around how to reconcile their faith 
And so to then use faith against them, you know, kind of as this battering ram is not going to a affirm their identity. It's not going to affirm their truth. And in some ways it could really demolish um, their relationship with the divine or their, or how they view faith. Right. So um, I think the question that, you know, is a valid question, you know, that should be asked because again, if it's not about us, we don't want to make this whole thing about what we feel and how we're feeling, right? Because there's going to be an opportunity to talk about that. So asking like, what support do you need? And that's beyond just like, do you want me to sit with you in this? Do you, you know, it's beyond the surface stuff, but it's also about like, hey, is this something that you want to talk to with the family? Are you only telling me this? Do you want to tell your dad? Do you want to tell your grandma? Do you want to, you know, what what does this look like for you? Um you know, if, if it's a child in school, it's like, hey, are you are you out at school? Do you have a group of friends that know that, you know, you're queer? Um, that might be an opportunity to ask them, like, hey, have you been experiencing any bullying? Are there people who are kind of picking on you or things like that? Um, or asking, like, do you have any alliances? Do you have any teachers that you can trust? Are there student groups that you're a part of? Are there people who are who you've already built community with? I think those are questions to really gauge how maybe alone somebody is feeling, which I think is really important, right? Um, and the last thing I think in this is also to figure out like, yo, what does it mean for me to be an ally? And some of that, most of that is all about that education. Like, how are you going to educate yourself? Not only on maybe the experiences, but maybe what different terms mean, right? Because a lot of people call LGBTQ something, something alphabet mafia, right? So it's like, what does all this mean, right? And what are some maybe different stories that that you could really avail yourself to? What are other organizations that you can you can you know find? Um, and then lastly is that just you know find places to get support for yourself. You know, are there people who maybe have had kids who've came out to them, or are there you know there's other people who've had the same experience. This is the first time that it's happened. So finding people who can support you as well, but just know that the support that your loved one um, is asking for from you. Like that's also not the person who's responsible for bearing the emotional weight and labor of trying to support you making sense of their truth. Right, right, and I and I think that 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 part is really important because you know there are parents and folks who will say right like well it it is somewhat about me right like be because I don't know what to do I don't know what to say there are some teachers who might say the same thing right. I don't know what to do when a kid says this. Uh, I don't know what to do if a kid uh, invites me into the deepest parts of them, right? Like, 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 I'm not necessarily sure. And so, like, seeking out that 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 support is really important. You know, I think in Solomon's case, right? Like, if you don't get that at home, right? Like, then you know that there are locations where those spaces exist, right? And and so, first it was Atlanta. Right. And then she talked about going to New York. Right. And living there and not wanting to come back to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Right. Like because it's the affirmation that comes with community that really matters as you're trying to support yourself through this process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, when I when I went to New York as a as a queer adult, I was like, yo, the air here is oppression free. Like the air doesn't feel oppressive to me. Right. Um, so I totally, I was vibing with her on that. You know, as you think about, we've talked a lot about support, right? And we realize that you may not know where to start. And we also want to make sure that as you're seeking out support, that you're looking at places and, and organizations that are reputable who are really invested in doing the work. 
right? Because you can Google anything, you can YouTube anything, but we want to make sure that, you know, the places that we give you are reputable. Um, one of the places that I thought was really interesting and was a great find was a website called mykidisgay.com. And there are so many different stories and there's just so much information um, on this site, which is really helpful um, as a way to kind of build a bridge. Um, another uh, website that I found to be really just beautiful um, is called the Family Acceptance Project. And that is out of um, San Francisco State University. And it's it's really trying to, you know, it looks at mental health, it looks at suicide and substance abuse. There's a lot of education around homelessness and HIV and really just trying to put people's stories with the numbers, right? Because we can always look at the numbers and be like, oh, what? but there's there's real people behind those. Um, and it's it takes like a really great, um, like culturally grounded approach so that it's not just, you know, it's not just a flat, it's not just a flat um, approach to this. And it's really looking at faith and sociology and race and ethnicity and all these other different um, factors of identity that also play into queerness. And then the last one um, that I uh, wanted to recommend is PFLAG. And PFLAG is Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And they also support LGBTQ plus people, their families, friends, and allies. And they have local chapters as well as national chapters. And this is all about sexual orientation, gender identity, and other LGBTQ issues. Please check out those resources um, if you need them. Uh, and if you don't need them, pass them to somebody who do, because I can guarantee you somebody need them, all right? In addition, thank you, Salem, for sharing your story with us. Um, and we appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Peace. Thank you all so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. This episode was produced and written by Patrick Harris. And if you want to continue the conversation or learn more, Please follow me on social media at President Pat. Peace.